0: Good morning, everyone. We will go ahead and begin our class time this morning. So let me uh, go ahead and open us up with the word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you as we are able to gather together with your body once again this morning, the church. We thank you that we can come together for fellowship and instruction. We thank you for the, uh, the weekly routine that we have of being able to come together and to be brought before your word, to, to be brought together with your people and to be brought before you, and to be uh, instructed, to be reminded, to be encouraged about our relationship with you that we have come to have through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this. We thank you that we can come and that we can learn from your word. We pray that we would do so with all humility. We pray that we would do so with understanding, that we would have a a better view of what you've told us about the way to interact with the, the governing authorities. That we would continue to shape our minds not by our preferences or by what the world around us tells us or even our own reaction against that, but rather by what your word says. And so we pray that you would use this time this morning to bring that about in our hearts and that you would inform our worship in this way. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to continue to talk about government and the Christian life. And uh, we have a different kind of perspective to bring this morning The past few weeks, we have had the privilege of being able to sit in the bleachers, as it were, and to talk about all the things that somebody else should be and do, which is to say that we've been able to look at what the government is told to do and told to be in scripture. But now we have to turn around and we have to start to consider what it is that we, as those who are subject to the government, are supposed to be and supposed to do. So, so far in one sense, this has been easy, maybe not to wrap our minds around because of the uh, amount of information that scripture tells us on these matters, but because we're not the ones having to change our hearts necessarily when we come across these things. But this morning begins to be a little bit different. And I wanted to address that just by starting with this morning, uh, the Christian's basic responsibilities toward the state or toward the government. What are Christians supposed to do on a fundamental level toward the government that are over us in authority? Now, we may have time to talk about some nuances of this, uh, but that's not really necessarily my goal this morning. It is simply to make sure that we understand and that we're thinking about the things that the government tells us to do. And that the scripture in particular tells us that we are supposed to do in connection with or in response to the government. And uh, there are six of these that I want to outline for you. And I just want to base this in a passage that you will not be surprised to turn to, which is Romans chapter 13. So if you want to turn with me there, uh, we will begin there. And we will hop around to a few different places. But we'll keep coming back there for a lot of what we talk about. So Romans chapter 13. And I want to read verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Every person is to be in subjection. ...to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God... ...and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority... ...has opposed the ordinance of God... ...and they who have opposed... ...will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear... ...for good behavior... ...but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good... But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And they'll just read one more verse as he transitions. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. There are in this passage uh, several duties that the Christian has toward government. But I just want to start with the first and most obvious one, which is obedience. Obedience or submission. Submission submissive obedience you might call it and we find this in verse one every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities the authority has the right to tell you what to do and so the Christian is to be in subjection to this governing authority Uh, verse two places not doing what the government says in the realm of resisting authority So Romans 13 talks to us about obedience and obedience to government in particular. This is part of the outworking of the Christian life. Like everything else in Romans 12 and beyond, this is not a means of salvation. It's not the way that we become Christians. But it is proper and appropriate behavior for Christians to act in these ways. And so he talks here about ruling authorities in verses 1 and 2. And there may be here a particular focus on the imperial nature of the rule. Very often when this uh, these, this kind of language is used, it's in connection with the, uh, the ruling Roman Empire, not just with the authorities that may have been over the Jews locally. And so it is here, although writing to Rome, it would have been the case that this was the seat of the government anyway. And so there wouldn't really necessarily be any government that they had taken over. Um, but there is... There is a statement here that they, these are the authorities that are in place. So obedience to them is necessary. Now, he makes a general statement in verses 3 and 4 about what rulers are there to, uh, to bring about and what they are there to deter. So what does it say that rulers are there for? What do they, what do they um, use their authority to promote and to prevent according to verses 3 and 4? Someone tell me what it says. To promote good and to prevent evil. That's right. That's right. And uh, yes, and in particular, it talks about praising uh, good. Actually, here is not what he says. Um, that's First Peter 2 that I'm thinking of as far as uh, the praise of those who do right. And we'll go there in a moment as well. Uh, But, yeah, to promote good and to prevent evil. So they are to use their authority to bring wrath on the one who practices evil. Government is said here to have, uh, to bear the sword. They have the ability to inflict punishment. They have the ability to use authority upon people who do what is wrong In order to deter them to punish them to bring justice upon them if they do what is evil Uh, as you read this this is a general statement so perhaps there are exceptions that come to mind is anyone thinking of any exceptions at this moment that you might want to talk about when you see this and you say the government is supposed to promote what is good and is supposed to punish evil What exceptions are you thinking about? Well, let me just, before I even ask you that, uh, notice what he says here, that rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. And he says, if you do what is good, you'll have praise from this government authority. But in verse four, if you do what is evil, be afraid. What he's basically saying is, in general, if you just stay out of trouble, then you'll stay out of trouble. And hopefully this is a a general lesson that you learn and you understand anyway, that you know how to avoid trouble situations. But in particular, you know that you are not supposed to do what is evil and expect the government to just uh, be unconcerned about that. So if you go against the governmental ordinances, then you should expect that there ought to be and there would be consequences that come from that. Uh, So as you think about that, uh, where does this get reversed? What kind of occasions or situations would you say that this gets reversed? I just want to get some of these out there and help us to think about this. What's that? I can't quite hear. Oh, Nero. Yeah, Nero. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So someone who actually persecutes Christians just because that's who they are, because they're Christians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mark. Okay. When the government goes against God's authority and God's God's will, you said? Okay. 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 So yeah, so promoting social uh promoting social issues, especially those that go against What the scripture says. Yeah. Good. What else? Yeah, Stephen. Yeah, so it is focusing on the, the behavior, right? The external behavior, which is all that the government can really do. Although most certainly we, we have seen where there are uh, ways where the government wants to sometimes uh, get onto you for the wrong ways of thinking or uh, things that you, that you should not be thinking or at least saying out loud, uh, things that at least that it would say you should not be saying or that certain people in the government would say you should not be saying. First um, Peter 2, let's look at this while we're on this subject verse 13, 1 Peter 2, 13, it says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. So again, another statement that governors, that human institutions, human governmental institutions are Basically and fundamentally sent by these rulers or they are in place to prevent people from just running wild and doing all kinds of evil. Now I think it's obvious that there are um, all kinds of ways where this doesn't happen the way that it ought to. Um, Besides what we've talked about already, what are some ways where this does not take place properly? Just want to make sure we understand these, as, as we see these instructions, that we're acknowledging the, uh, not the exceptions, but the exceptions to the way that they should practice it and the way that they actually do it. So what are some of those things? How does the government act in ways that don't align with this? Anything else you can think of that you've seen? Yeah, Hannah. Yeah, bribery, corruption. Yeah, so there's a lot of that where, yeah, that that's going to determine the outcome of a judicial case is how much did someone pay me? Yeah, and of course, Scripture warns about those things, doesn't it? Yeah, what else? Robert. Evil and good have to be defined yeah, it does. So evil and good have to be defined biblically. The interesting thing about this is, that Peter is writing under Roman rule Paul is writing under Roman rule and they both speak about that as the government kind of like generally getting it right um, that they're not going to be right on every particular point but he makes these statements about government in an area where yeah a lot of them are not they're not going to be biblically based in their government but as Paul says in Romans 2 Uh, even Gentiles in many ways recognize the basics of the law of God that there are certain things that are wrong or at least they should this is where I think that many of you might be troubled over um, things that you have seen either in person or in the news over recent years which is the calling explicitly of things that are good evil or things that are evil good uh, where adultery, for example, has been basically removed from any kind of stigma almost at all other than the fact that it personally hurts somebody, Uh, but laws are not really in place to do very much about that kind of thing at all, Uh, where corruption in the justice system is just kind of expected sometimes, uh, not as a rule that it will happen, but you see things and you say, "This this is not right, this is going to make things kind of backwards or skewed or twisted, and it bothers you. So we, of course, should, uh, we should expect that people before God are accountable for what they do in the way that they use government. But we've talked about that in the past. Uh, Paul and Peter state that just in general, the way that the government works is we're supposed to do what the government says. And in general, when people do wrong, they are punished for it. And in general, when they do right, they will not be punished for it. Uh, so again, recognizing the exceptions, we do need to make sure that we have the fundamental heart that we would do what God says in this way. And we can navigate the, the weird uh, exceptions. We can navigate when they get the moral standards wrong. And we can, uh, we can take God's word and we can apply it in those situations. But I think it's important up front that we come to all of those things with a heart that is in our direction, intending to follow what these passages tell us submission is the the fundamental principle and the fundamental instruction so what he says uh is instructive here in verse 16 act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil but use it as bond slaves of god don't use your freedom as a covering for evil uh i have observed and you may not agree with this but I would argue and would ask you to consider this, that um, many Christians today have unsubmissive hearts toward authorities over them that they justify on the basis of the distortion that these authorities make toward right and wrong before God. And if they can show enough things that these authorities do wrong, then they can justify not doing anything that the government says at all at any point that they want to. And they use their freedom as a covering for evil. And so they say the government is overreaching. That's not the government's sphere. The government doesn't have the right to do that. Um, That's the church's territory, or that's the Bible's territory, or that's the Christian's territory, or the government isn't aligning exactly with this standard, or the government is full of corrupt people. Um, The government is unrighteous. And taking that and rather than being careful and precise to only go against government in those specific areas, they throw out the entire baby with the bathwater and say, well, because these people say these wrong things and do these unrighteous things, then I don't have to do anything the government says anytime I want to. And I think that I've seen the spirit of that very much show up over the last few years, uh, starting especially with uh, what happened with uh, everything connected with COVID starting nearly four years ago now. So I would just challenge you to make sure that this is not your attitude, that you don't use this concept of government being evil or people in government being evil or them not doing their job to just kind of say, well, I don't have to listen to anything that they say. Make sure that that's not what's going on in your heart. And we need to recognize that we are tempted constantly to autonomy, to ruling ourselves, to getting our own way that we love to have that. And we will look for any excuse that we can have to just be able to do whatever we want rather than to submit to the Lord's authority. And the Lord does uh, bring his authority onto the earth by means of fallen, even unbelieving governmental rulers. So don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Um, Many times people will do whatever they want under this guise, they'll say, "Well, government is, un- is evil, I'm a Christian, and therefore anything that they're coming after me for, they're coming after me because I'm a Christian." And they connect it all with persecution. And they forget that in many cases it's actually just that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And First Peter 4 addresses this issue. He says in, um, starting in verse 14, he says, "If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed." because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler but if anyone suffers as a Christian he is not to be ashamed but it's to glorify God in this name and what he's saying is just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're suffering at the hands of another authority or somebody who persecutes you is actually persecution for being a Christian. It might just be that you're doing something wrong. Now, that doesn't always mean that you're doing something wrong. And uh, after evaluating whether you are or seeing whether you line up with scripture, it's right to say, yes, I am suffering for doing what is right. If that's in, in fact the case. But don't just assume that because you have a problem with an unrighteous person that the problem is with the unrighteous person. Or if you have a problem with a government that's imperfect that the problem is just with the government. We also need to make sure that we have hearts that we are submissive to the authorities that are placed over us. And so then um, we are to do this with a driving motivation in verse 15 of chapter 2. Such is the will of God, this is in 1 Peter 2, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Peter is full of statements like this where our goal is to be gospel witnesses, where people are supposed to see our conduct and see its consistency and its integrity and to see its godliness, and on that basis... We are supposed to be able to put down attacks against us, and it's on the basis of our character. That's what it's supposed to be. So we have this motivation behind this of uh, doing what is good for this reason. Now then, uh, what do these passages mean? Well, they mean that you obey, basically they mean you obey the laws, and it means that you submit to law enforcement as they enforce the laws and that both of these things are involved. Um, I want to talk about that for a second because um, I think it's obvious to most of us that there are laws that are, um, let's just say, not even intended to be enforced in the first place. Do you know about any of those? Do you think about any of those? Or perhaps laws that are on the books from, I don't know, a couple hundred years ago, that have just never been changed, that everyone knows are never going to be enforced. Um, I think there was a, a recent bill within the last few years in the federal government that we were told the people who wrote it had to pass it so that they could do what? Anybody know? Find out what was in it. Even the people writing the laws, writing them so to speak, didn't know what was there. Now, again, this is not a blanket uh, excuse to not do what the government says, but I think it would be very foolish and naive of us to not recognize that government passes and keeps laws on the book with no expectation, in many cases, that they will ever be followed by almost anybody, and that we need to, to recognize this. And so um, it, there is, when we when we talk about, obeying the laws, and we talk about submitting to law enforcement, I just want to add that little wrinkle as you think about it, because otherwise we are going to take ourselves to a place where our consciences can be so bound that it's very unlikely we could do much of anything at all until we find out every single thing that's written in every single page of every single law on every single level. And if we were to do that, we would probably find that we're breaking a few laws at a time almost constantly throughout every day. So with that in view, um, I just want to make sure that, that you know that there are issues like this, and it would be naive not to recognize them. That does not excuse us from doing what is obviously what God has said to do. So we can quibble about exactly where wisdom might take you on some of those more difficult matters. I just want to acknowledge those, but what here this promotes is an attitude of, I am going to do what the government tells me to do. I'm going to submit, and I am going to follow them, and I'm going to obey the laws. I'm going to submit to the people who enforce the laws. And then I would just ask you to consider, what is your fundamental orientation? Is it one of obedience, or is it one of getting away with everything you can? Is it, I'm going to throw off the constraint of the government, or is it God has ordained this. God has ordained these rulers. God has ordained these things to be in place. And I'm not going to just buck against it. And I'm gonna. I'm not going to just fight it. And I'm not going to just resent it. I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do. What is the fundamental disposition? And anything else that that may or may not be a uh, uh, that may be a, a, a sticky issue, you can work that out. But here, the fundamental orientation: obedience or disobedience. Uh, one more passage, and then. Maybe uh, we can take some thoughts and questions before we move on to the next one. But uh, Titus chapter 3 uh, gives us one more one more instruction on this point that just, uh, that says mainly the same thing. Verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. So this is. Here, this is the instruction we're supposed to be in subjection to them, All right? Questions, comments so far on this responsibility. Yeah, right. When is it okay to disobey the state? When is it, okay to disobey the state? Uh, it would certainly be the case when they directly tell you to do something that the Bible forbids, or when they forbid you to do something that the Bible commands. So, uh, driving principle there would be something like Acts four twelve. I think is the passage. Is that? Uh, am I remembering that right? Uh, where? No, that's not. It's not four twelve. It is. Uh, we must obey God rather than men. You guys know the passage. Five twenty nine. Yeah. So four twelve is salvation and no one else. Five twenty nine. Yeah. Peter and the apostles. Yeah. So twenty eight. They had told them not to continue teaching. The council told them not to continue teaching in this name. But they had kept doing it. And Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. So there are many times when there is an overlap. You can do both at the same time. When it comes to the point where you must disobey men in order to obey God, then that's what you do. I think we find a, a pattern for how to, uh, generally speaking, how we can try to go about that in the book of Daniel. Where Daniel resolved that he was not going to disobey God, even though he had been told to do something that disobeyed God. But before he simply went straight to that, he did try to find a way to get an exception to appeal to, uh, to the authority over him. And God granted that appeal. God granted that. So Daniel was uncompromising in his heart. He wasn't going to do it anyway, but he did appeal and try to find a way to where his disobedience to government would be changed into not disobedience the government by the time that he did it so we find that as well so yeah when whenever you are told to do what God says not to do or when you are told to not do what God says to do then that is the time when you know this is I just I'm not going to do this yeah yeah right Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point because uh, there are a lot of people who have a hard time, and I, I think there are people who have moved out of the United States because they say, I cannot pay taxes to a government that funds these things. And I appreciate their, um, their willingness to sacrifice for the sake of their conscience. I would try to plead with someone in that situation to reinform their conscience because the Bible talks about paying taxes to very evil governments in the Bible and it does not implicate the person paying taxes in the activities that the government uses those taxes for. So if you wanna say, I don't like this, I wanna do everything I can to stop this, uh, I wanna vote different people in, I want to protest at these places, anything that you think is, uh, should happen in, in that way that is within the bounds of what scripture would allow, then by all means, then you can do that. But uh, but I do think that there is kind of a, uh, just a bad feeling that can get in our consciences about that and think, you know, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm supporting this. I'm supporting that. And I, I would argue that it does not. It's not, once it goes to the government, it's not your money, it's their money. It belongs to them. They do what they want with it. doesn't make it right. And we can grieve over it. And we could try to say you shouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, that's not our responsibility. Uh, it's, it's, not our, um, it's not our sin or being... Uh, being culpable in any way when they take it from you and then do something else with it. So, yeah, um, yes, Stephen. Yeah, that's a good question, and I'm probably, uh, that's probably something that's better left for uh, a later lesson that I have on more what to do when the government is not doing, you know, what are Christians, what is the Christian's responsibility when the government is not doing what it's supposed to do? How are we supposed to go about changing that? So I, I, I want to probably reserve that for a later time. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, this is, these, these New Testament letters were not written into a background of uh, the ideal government, if you will. But it was, in God's sovereign hand, God's ideal government in a certain way for that time. Providentially, not because he approved of everything that they did, but because he wanted them in place. Uh, that doesn't mean that there should not have been a change in some way, of course, to what the government did or who was in charge. But um, but yeah, we should be thankful for the things that did come about through that. So, yeah, good, Jesse. Yeah, what they what they do with that is their accountability before God and they certainly will be accountable to the people in some functional way uh, if there is uh, a misuse of that but but yeah it, it is it is that you're they are being paid to do a job which is exactly and I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's exactly what's going on in Romans 13 as well when it comes to taxes and that's the, the next thing that I wanted to point out so Romans 13 um, verses 6 and 7 Uh, Actually, verse 5, just to lead into it. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So what you have here is, in particular, again, what was owed to an empire. Uh, Jesus emphasizes and highlights this when... He says in Matthew 17 that the Jews should not be placing a tribute upon their own people. He says, who pays the tribute? Who pays custom? Is it uh, the sons or the foreigners? And they say, oh, it's the foreigners. And Jesus says, well, why are they charging you, the sons of Israel, for this? And he says, but so that we don't offend them. Um, Then he goes and produces a miraculous way of paying that. But... um, we, we know that there was dispute in Jesus' day. Should the Jews pay Caesar at all? Because, hey, this is not our government. This is a government that is imposing their rule upon us. And Jesus answers the question. He says, look, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Yeah, do it. And then Paul himself here says that you pay taxes because of this reason. They are doing a job. They are doing a job. And, in fact, they're not just serving uh, in a job. They are servants of God. So they're doing a, a job and they're doing a God-ordained job. Not because this, this doesn't mean that these people uh, have the God-given right to be in office for the rest of their life. It doesn't sanction everything that they're doing. It does though mean that they are doing a job and therefore that they should be paid for doing that. So yeah, this is what this goes for. I mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, maybe even before that but this is how the whole system works I mean if the government doesn't get any money then well I know what you want to say they'll just print it and they'll have it anyway but that's not the point if the government doesn't receive any money then it's really going to be hard for it to operate it's going to be difficult okay it it cannot function it needs to be funded in one way or another and this is where taxes come in so, um, Paul says then, basically, the reason, that, uh, the reason he gives is that even if they're not perfect, even if they're not righteous, they're in a position that's ordained by God. And therefore, they are de facto servants of God. And they, not only the rulers themselves, are paid, but also they determine that the funds are needed for various things. And they are the ones whom God has put in place to make those decisions. So, we may not like the way that it's spent And in many cases, it may be used unrighteously. They'll give an account to God for that. And if we have the opportunity in maybe a system like ours to evaluate that and say, you know, I don't want those people to be in this office any longer. I don't like the way that they're writing laws. I don't like the way that they're using money. I don't like the way that they're they're taking these resources that they're entrusted with before God, and they're misusing them, and they're using them to mistreat people. I don't like that. I want to do something about that. Then we are within our rights to do that, and it's a great blessing to have those rights. But uh, bottom line is that Paul says, "Hey, you don't give them um, you don't give them tax money because they use it perfectly. You do it because this is what is due them." Verse seven. It is owed to them and that's why he says in verse 8 owe nothing to anyone except to love one another it's all of what's there in verse 7 tax custom fear and honor the way that we are to treat the government so none of this justifies any particular tax structure or tax rate Uh, none of this justifies any certain use of money in spending Uh, it has nothing to do with that Paul is not getting into the specifics of that and they will be accountable to God But the principle in general is that this is why we do this we do this because they are servants of god and because they need money to operate the government so that is uh the basic responsibility of taxes all right um and we'll go through the the remainder a little bit quicker but before we move on any questions or comments on this point on taxes Yeah, that there, there is some percentage of the taxes that you pay that does go towards loving your neighbor and helping them to, to prosper because there is such a thing as the rule of law that, that uh, deters crime and deters harm from happening. Yeah, that's a great point to make. And look, this is where, I mean, it, it, rather than resenting the paying of taxes, we should see it as, I mean, look, Romans 12 talks about uh, service of worship in verse 1. And all that follows is from that, that you are a living sacrifice to God. So we should look at this um, not as something to resent, as much of a burden as it may present, but we should see it as, uh, as something that is an act of obedience to God. And it is, in one sense as well, an act of worship, that we are, uh, that, that we are giving what is due And that we are obeying a command of God in doing this. And then perhaps this would be a good occasion to pray for those that you are paying to. That they might use the money in ways that are honoring to God. And the other things that the Bible tells us to pray for. All right, let me uh, talk about the next point, which is honor and respect. It's here in uh, in verse 7. Honor and respect. Where he says... Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Titus warns against the opposite side of this when in Titus 3, verse 2, he says, uh, to malign no one or to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration, For all men. Exodus 22 verse 8 tells us do not speak evil of who? A ruler of your people. Do not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And Paul uh, in Acts 23 seems to only be uh, grieved over his uh, strong words for a particular person once he found out that he was the ruler of the people. He says, uh, uh, verse 3 of Acts 23, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit and try me according to the law? And in violation of the law, ordered me to be struck. And the bystander said, do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I wasn't aware, brethren, that he was high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. He says, uh, oh, I did something wrong. And I wouldn't have done that if I had known that he was the high priest. It's very interesting. He says that there is a certain way of speaking, even if it's true. That he was not to do toward this particular person it's very interesting uh, i wonder if this concept of honoring and not speaking evil of rulers plays into the way that you uh, conduct yourself in our political discourse would you be able to say i uh you know i don't speak evil of the ruler of of my people i, I don't speak evil about them uh, this is not to say that there are not things that can be recognized that they do that is evil. It's not that you are having, can't have a, uh, a sort of civil discourse amongst one another and say, you know, I see this flaw and this flaw, and I'd really like somebody else. You know, this is a problem. I, I'd like to pray for this thing. Or that you can't make arguments about people. It doesn't mean any of that. But what is this talking about? It's talking about reviling. It's talking about uh, harsh speech about someone or towards someone. Just disrespectful kinds of speech. Uh, There is a certain honor that this kind of office bestows upon someone in the way that the Bible actually picks up and, and runs with. This is not just human authority saying that governmental office holders are supposed to be treated with respect. But there is biblical basis for this in several passages that I've just mentioned. So I just want to challenge you to think carefully about the way that you might speak about people who are in these positions and and see. And I know that the applications of this can run in in very many ways, and and hopefully your wheels are turning on this a little bit. But just let this be a governing framework. Uh, Do you honor and respect people who are in positions of authority in the government? Do you treat them with respect, or do you treat them with reviling and maligning? Do you speak evil of them? Um, in particular, are you saying things about them that aren't true, or are you careful to speak the truth about them? Uh, but also, just the way, the demeanor, the attitude with which we speak, it ought to be very careful, and it ought to be in keeping with what Christian standards are, not what with the world around us says that we ought to speak about them with. So honor and respect. Honor and respect. Where does this come up? Let's think about this for a second. How does this apply? This person person is nuts. That can be just like kind of a calm, you know, uh, distant observation, perhaps. But... Yeah or and you can even say yeah, I think you can take it further and say not just I disagree with it but this is a wrong way of thinking yeah. you know you can say they they are way off base here they are against god here or they're not logical here uh they're not consistent whatever it might be but but the way you go about that is a big deal yeah Is it about the more about the delivery than the content yeah. Yeah. If I say this guy has a mind Mhm yeah. Mhm Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You can say I don't see any reason why you couldn't say something like that if it's been made evident. Uh there there's a heart behind I I I can do that within the framework of just being respectful in the way that I go about it. I think you can do that. You can bring you can bring a um uh, an issue to someone in a way that's respectful as opposed to just, you know, going out and <laughs> mocking them or something. Uh not to say that there isn't ever a place for mockery even scripturally uh there there are times and i yeah that's a very it's a good relief yeah isaiah uh or excuse me elijah in first Kings 17 uh, mocks a false god and those who promote false religion and he exposes them so it's not to say that there isn't a place for that but what's the heart behind it is it just i'm I, like i'm nope this person is wrong therefore i get to just treat them however i want talk about them however i want like is there is there is that Uh, influenced by the fact that they're in a position that God has ordained them to be in that deserves honor and respect just by virtue of that. So it it just ought to shade the way that we talk about it, the way that we think about it, which is going to come out of the way that we talk about it. Yeah, Jessica. Jessica. Yeah, so, it, yeah, it can, it can have some very good effects, can't it? Yeah, yeah, because it shows that you're not just in it for the laughs or you're not just in it for the, you know, the the clicks or anything like that. But uh, I am actually, I actually see a problem here that's a real problem. I would like it to be changed. This is because of the way that I understand this situation to be interpreted by God's word. And I just, and I want to do something about it in that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Stephen, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh it could be that God has ordained rulers to give our nation over to judgment uh that would that could still uh partner with at the same time these these general principles being true that they punish evil and then that they kind of reward what is right, but at the same time they're doing things that undermine the structure or whatever i i i could mm-hmm yes um, the uh, so first Kings 12 I think it is uh, Samuel no first Samuel 12 Samuel tells the people that if they obey God then the king will obey God it's kind of an interesting, you kind of have like both influence one influences the other in both directions um, and he says as long as your heart is following the Lord then your ruler is going to follow the Lord if you don't it's going to be the opposite and, and certainly uh, there were evil rulers that came upon Israel that, did all kinds of things like um, they they caused the further downfall of the nation. Uh, seems to be that God's judgment was or His discipline was enacted through that. Um, you even have a guy that was ordained to be king who tricked everybody into thinking that he was you know uh, that he was uh, serving Baal and then he was used to you know he lured them all in. So Jehu you know and, oh yeah he's I'm going to serve Baal a lot and then he just lured them all in and and got rid of them. But was he in it because he was trying to serve the Lord? No, he was used by God for that purpose. Uh, to eliminate a lot of idolatry, but he wasn't himself honoring the Lord. So there's a lot of those kinds of things in what God ordains that are a little bit more um, just what His purposes are versus what we're told to do, what rulers are told to be and do. So yeah, Mark, and then we'll and then we'll wrap up. If you still had something. How, does you, how do you answer a fool according to his folly? That is going to depend case by case in every single situation. I mean, the general principle is given there. But what does that mean? Don't answer a fool according to his folly. It kind of means don't, you know, get in with him and don't, don't grant him his own, um, you know, some of the premises that he might want to have. Um, don't take that he's necessary. You don't have to necessarily believe that everybody's arguing in good faith um, and engage them with that in view. That would be the answer a fool or don't answer a fool according to his folly. You should answer a fool according to his folly. Basically what that means is you recognize that he's foolish and you answer him according to the fact that you know that he is uh, hes not operating on the same wavelength, spiritually speaking. He, he's hes just not. He's not submissive to God. Any kind of things that he wants to say are, um, you know, if he's trying to argue, he's trying to argue to preserve his own sinfulness and stubbornness against God and you just take that into account and uh, you don't necessarily just have to get in and say oh yeah this guy is doing exactly things the way that he should and I just have to follow along with him it's not always like that so I don't know how that would necessarily play out in in these circumstances but it's it's definitely one of many biblical concepts to keep in mind Okay, um, well, we've got uh, about halfway through these things, so this is good. So thank you for your questions and your comments. Hopefully this is helpful to just think about and um, for us to look and say, where, where are we doing, Where where is our heart before God? Are we desiring to do what God says? Are we willing to submit to God's authority that is placed over us versus always looking for a way out of doing that? and uh are we careful to do what god has said with respect to this so let's uh pray together god thank you for this time today thank you that you've given us uh so many blessings through our government and through its its leaders we certainly uh grieve and bemoan the the places where they are not what they ought to be and where they don't do what they should do we ask you that those things would change and that their hearts would change but god we do want to thank you and acknowledge. The many, many blessings that we have because of what you have brought about in your providence and in what you have ordained and who you have ordained to be in office, whether in the past or even this day. We pray that you would provide for us leaders who would care for us and who would look out for our good, but who would most of all fear you and want to glorify you in the way that they govern. And we pray that you'd be pleased by that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.